0: It is great to see each of you this morning, and in case you did not know it, that is Psalm 24, put to music right there. Go back after the service and check that out. So this morning we turn our attention to the topic of singleness, and we are answering questions today like, is it God's will for every person to be married? What should you look for in a future spouse? Does marriage complete you? How long should you wait for Mr. Right or Miss Perfect before you settle for Mr. or Mrs. Good Enough? <laughs> is singleness a blessing or is it a curse? How does Scripture address some of the false notions about singleness that are represented within our culture, and at the same time, how does it address some of those false notions that are represented within the church? The topic of singleness is one of those that is grossly undertaught within the church, but it is vitally important for every single believer. So if you are single today, this is a message that absolutely has bearing on your life right now. If you are married today, happily married, love being married, but you are also concerned about maybe the future marriages of your children or your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews or close friends of the family, if you're concerned about them, then this message is relevant for you. There might be people in the room right now that you have been married before, but because of divorce or because of death, you found yourself single again. You never thought you would be in this place, and yet you're here. This message has relevance for you. In other words, it doesn't matter what position you're in in life. God's word, as it comes to singleness, applies to every single one of us. So this message is a part of our Equip series. And if you've not been here for this series, the focus of the entire series is on equipping believers for every stage of life. It is about talking about how do you walk faithfully with God if you're single, if you're married. If you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you are young, if you're old, if you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, young adult, or a retiree, it really does not matter. How do you walk faithfully with Jesus in your particular station in life? Our circumstances should not determine our faithfulness with God. So we just spent two weeks talking about motherhood and womanhood with a major emphasis on mentoring. And we're about to step into two weeks where we're talking about singleness and preparing for marriage. And then, starting on Father's Day, we're going to address fatherhood and after that, manhood with a major emphasis upon maturity. And then, we're going to wrap out this part of our series with a focus on single parenting. We've got a lot to cover in this EQUIP series. So, as always, and I like to emphasize this every chance I get, as always, God's word provides the insight we need for all matters of life and godliness. And this is the case once again. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. We will primarily be in verses 6 through 9, but we're also going to see some truths that are found in verses 32 through 34. I am speaking this morning on the subject The blessing of singleness. The blessing of singleness. Here's what the text says, and then we'll pray. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. Move on to verse number 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us by your Spirit into truth, and may the truths that you want us to walk away with, God, may they resonate in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel the need to give a disclaimer on the front side of this message. I give a lot of disclaimers these days. An email account means that I give a lot of disclaimers these days. But anyway, here's the thing I want to be very clear about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it covers a lot of topics. It addresses singleness, marriage, husbands, wives, widows, divorce, remarriage, unmarried, sexual union, celibacy, and a number of other topics in between. Now, they're all interrelated. They are all important. But for our study today, we're going to focus on singleness and some of the closely made connections to singleness out of this text. And while there's any number of reasons why people may be single, that is, maybe they've not found the right person, maybe there's health concerns, uh, maybe it is that they have the gift of celibacy, maybe they have seen death, maybe they have experienced divorce, th- there's any number of circumstances that cause people to be single, and each one of those is going to have a very specific group of concerns related to that person and related to that particular set of situation. But Because of that, we need to first understand the general principles about singleness in order for any of the specifics to actually make sense. So, in other words, we need to understand this before we can even talk about that. Does that matter? Okay, here we go. All right, so here's your key truth for this morning as well as for next week. Singleness is not a curse to break, a time to indulge, or a period to endure. Singleness is a blessing to enjoy. And an opportunity to devote yourself more fully to the Lord. As we go forward in the message today and as we jump into this next week, Lord willing, that truth will come alive in a number of different ways. So we're going to approach this topic by walking through three main parts or three main categories. We're going to begin with a cultural view of singleness. That's only going to be maybe a few minutes. Then we're going to move into a biblical understanding of singleness And then we're going to finish this out with a wise approach to singleness. So let's start with our first category, a cultural view of singleness. So much of our society is structured around couples. In fact, it is often assumed that when a person reaches a certain age, then they are going to have a spouse. And if they don't have a spouse, then something has to be wrong with the situation or wrong with that person. Uh, This idea of remaining single, especially past maybe the mid 20s, has been something of a concern within society for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. For example, in the first century, Rabbi Eliezer said, Any man who has no wife is no proper man. End of quote. That's a strong statement. That's 2,000 years ago. In other words, 2,000 years ago, there was a notion that singleness was akin to being less than what somebody could possibly be. The Talmud even went further than that. It said, and I quote, the man who is not married at 20 is living in sin, end of quote. The Talmud was equating this idea of singleness later past the age of 20 with sinfulness, so based on the fact that Judaism is the foundation in which Christianity comes from, it's even more astounding when you run into some of the statements and truths about singleness that's found within the New Testament. For example, Paul speaks of singleness as a gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says it is good for those to whom it has been given, Matthew chapter 19, verse 11. So, on one hand, culture idolizes singleness as a time that you can become all you were meant to be in this moment of singleness. In other words, when you're single, based on culture, that's the time you go out and you sow your wild oats and you you live carefree, you travel the world, you hang out with your friends, you get up when you want to, you go to bed when you want to, nobody's pressuring your time, nobody's demanding your attention. It's during a single period of your life that you can fully experience what life is supposed to be. That's one aspect, a cultural view of singleness. But the culture also has another view of singleness, And that is singleness is looked down upon as being extremely hard or the fact that a person is incomplete if they are still single. If somebody is not married, then there is this view within culture that they're lacking something or that there must be something wrong with that individual. And yes, there's no question about it, there are parts of single life that are absolutely hard. When a person is longing for a spouse... When somebody deeply desires strong companionship, when a person is looking for that partner in life, it can be hard. There's no question about it. But I also want to say, even if a person is married, it doesn't mean they're living a life of ease. There's hard things on both sides hard things about being single, hard things about being married. Not all married people are enjoying their life. Many marriages end in divorce. Many others stay together, but they're miserable in the marriage. Even happy marriages have hard and difficult moments along the way. So the question becomes, is one more hard than the other? And I don't know if you can actually make a clear argument. Either way, there's hard pieces on both sides. So the reason I bring that up is because if somebody gets married thinking life will be easier as a married person, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And in fact, Scripture tells us that 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 34, it talks about some of those concerns and complexities that come with married life. Now, that's the cultural view. Let's move into a biblical understanding of singleness. Until we see things from God's perspective, we really don't see them at all. And that is true of singleness as well as all other topics. What a believer has as far as their opinion, their views, their understanding, their convictions, all of those things, they ultimately need to be submitted to the authority of the word of God to make sure it is in alignment with what the word of God already says. Now, understanding singleness begins with an overarching truth from the big story of God. Here's that truth. Humanity was created for relationship with God. Now, I know I have shared that one statement at least 300 times since I've been at Sherwood. Consider today to be number 301. But there's a reason I'm bringing that up. Life is about relationship. We were created to know God and to be known by him. Eternal life is this right relationship with God. That is based on John 17.3. It is also based on Romans 6.23. Now, why is it important that we bring up that humanity was created for relationship with God when we're talking about the topic of singleness. Here it is. Because being married is not your ultimate purpose in life. And that has to be clear. Finding your soulmate and settling down to your version of the American dream is not the reason you were put on this planet. If you're a believer, listen, you already have a soulmate and his name's Jesus. You are complete in him, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 10. And any attempt to fill that need, to fill that void, to fill that holy space of created purpose, any attempt to fill that with another person, listen, it places, here it is, unrealistic expectations upon that person. It makes marriage an idol in that person's life, and it sets that person up for a lifetime of discouragements. We have to understand our ultimate purpose in life is not marriage. It is to know God and to be known by him. So what are some other points, truths about singleness specifically found in 1 Corinthians 7? Here's the first of those. Singleness and marriage are gifts from God. Both are gifts from God. Now we're going to come back to Paul's statement about wishing all men were just like himself. That is unmarried. We'll come back to that in just a moment but I want to focus before on the topic of this being a gift. He says in verse 7, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now remember, the context is singleness and celibacy, married and unmarried. He basically says each person has their own gift. That is the implication that God sees marriage as a gift just as much as he sees singleness as a gift. For some people, God has given them the gift of singleness and celibacy. For others, God has given them the gift of marriage and possible future family. Those are both gifts from God. Now. Paul's comment about wishing that all men were even like himself, he's unmarried, is not meant to be a command from God for all people. Rather, he is talking about the freedom and the independence that he had as an unmarried man to be able to serve the Lord wherever the Lord would send him. He was like, I wish others could experience the same thing that I am. But it is clear in the text that he did not expect all believers to remain unmarried. Now, we got to pause here for just a moment. Whenever the topic of singleness comes up in Christian circles, there's going to be three passages that always seem to converge at the same intersection. It's going to be Paul's teachings out of 1 Corinthians 7. It's going to be Jesus' teachings about eunuchs out of Matthew chapter 19. And it's also going to be God's view of humankind, of mankind, and marriage out of Genesis chapter number 2. Those three passages always come together in the conversation. And the issue is they all have to come together in harmony. So we just read Paul's view found over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's like, I wish everyone could be like me, unmarried, free to serve the Lord, free to be able to go as God sends and God chooses. But now I want to read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He told his disciples, not all men can accept this statement but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, a eunuch described a man who is incapable of reproduction Or it described a man who had chosen to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus identifies three different types of eunuchs in that passage. Natural eunuchs who were born that way. Forced eunuchs who were made that way. And voluntary eunuchs who chose that way. And it's that third group. It's those who chose a life of being unmarried, a life of celibacy, those who chose a life of being able to be single so that they could serve the Lord more. That's the group that is primarily brought into this conversation. Now, let me pause here for another reason. There are some who will say that Jesus was referring to homosexuals when he said some are born that way. Okay, let let me clarify this. The Bible never uses the word homosexual and eunuch interchangeably. Never. Scripture never refers to a eunuch as living in sin. But both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, homosexuality is condemned as a sin. We just need to be clear on this because sometimes terminology will make people run off in one direction, believe in one thing, and that's not what the text is saying. So in reference to this third group, Jesus is saying... That there are some people who have chosen to remain single to better serve the lord and paul is clearly saying i wish everybody could be like me unmarried so that they could have freedom in serving the lord so how in the world does that fit with what genesis 2:18 says with it is not good that man should be alone <laughs> i mean it kind of sounds like we're getting mixed signals is it good that man is alone is it not good that man is alone well Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, is 100% true. If you're talking about, generally speaking, you're talking about the majority of the world's population, it is not good that man should be alone. Marriage is God's loving gift to humanity. It is the chief context in which our desires for intimacy with another person are met. It is God's perfect plan for deeper male and female union. 100% correct. But Matthew chapter 19 as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 7 are also 100% correct. In specific cases, God calls people to a life of singleness so that they can have undivided focus in their service for the Lord. Their singleness, this is huge, this is huge, this is huge. Their singleness is not subspiritual, and their singleness is not super-spiritual. Their singleness is flowing out of God's plan, God's will, and God's desire for that individual. That is what the text is about. The point that Paul is making here is singleness and marriage are both incredible gifts from God. And people do not need to feel like they have to jump out of one status into the next status in order to be complete as a person. For those who are already married, it is wrong to live like a single person and get divorced because you're saying, I just want more freedom to go serve the Lord. That is not compatible with Scripture. At the same time, if you're single, it is wrong to act like you are married, to live with somebody else prior to marriage, or to get married because you think that marriage is somehow a better gift. That is also incorrect. Both are gifts from God. Just as much as it is wrong to misuse a gift that we have, it is equally wrong to manufacture a gift we don't have. Spirituality is not determined by marital status. Here's the next one. Marriage is not required for all, and singleness may be God's will for some. Now, for those who are unmarried, for those who are widows... Scripture teaches in this text, it's good for them to remain in that status. But, but listen to what that means. It means they're not deficient in that status. They're not half a person in that status. Their value and their identity and their worth before God is not diminished in that status. If, oh, this is good, if singleness is God's gift for that person, then singleness is God's will for that person going to let you chew on that one for a while anyone who is walking with Jesus anyone who is submitted to the will of God in their life that person can live with joy and contentment regardless of their marital status now this is about to get uncomfortable but if I tell you it's going to get uncomfortable maybe you will not be as mad at me as I make you uncomfortable but I we're going to do this anyway because it needs to happen The urge to play matchmaker by some is hard to resist. There's a lot of well-meaning Christians who are not content to let single people remain single people. They see all single people as their next project. And I don't think, listen, I don't think it is any nefarious evil intent behind the person. Here's what that usually is the case of. Somebody who has loved the joy of marriage wants somebody else to experience the same thing. And they're like, man, it's great. I I get it. I understand that. Listen. And for most people, that will exactly be God's will in their life. But for some, it's not. And there are some people who feel as though they got coerced into marriage, not out of following God's will, but because they were trying to follow the wishes of some of their friends. If God has called a person to singleness and celibacy, we have to be careful in what we're saying. Listen, everything, regardless of our place in the Christian life, everything has to come back and be submitted to this phrase. If it is God's will for you, I pray this. And that way, if it's not God's will for you, I'm off. Like, that, that's, that's not what I want. I want God's will for that person. And I think that is what 99.9% of believers want. They want God's will for that person. They want God's best for that person. Like I said, it's not evil intent, but sometimes we can jump ahead of what God has for that person. So, the text also says if a single believer does not have self-control, verse number nine, that person should seek to get married. Now, what that means is, if somebody is strongly tempted, regularly tempted, they are kind of continually tempted with sexual desire, Paul's saying, you need to get married. In fact, that phrase Get married, it is one of the strongest commands in the Greek language. It's, it's almost like you need to get married now. Like It's, it's like don't, don't like let this kind of be out there for a while. You need to get married. But he also says it's better for that person to marry than to, to burn with desire. Uh, that, that phrase, burn with desire, it means to be inflamed. It talks about strong passion. And here's why that's so important. A person cannot live that joyful life. They cannot fully devote themselves to serving the Lord if they're constantly, continually overwhelmed with sexual desire. He says, you need to get married. Does that make sense? Okay. Both Jesus and Paul make it clear that a single celibate life is not required by God for all believers, but it can be enjoyed by those to whom it has been given. Now, here's the next one. Singleness and marriage have certain advantages. Singleness and marriage have certain advantages. Now, as Paul is going to point out later in the chapter, single people have some advantages when it comes to serving the Lord that married people don't have. This is found in verses 32 through 34. For example, single people are spared some of the concerns, some of the trouble that comes with marriage. Let's be honest. Life gets more complicated When you get married, when you get married, here's the thing. It's no longer just one person's perspective now. It's multiple people. Decisions about how to use money, how to use time, where to live, where to go, even what to eat every day. Those are decisions that are now split between multiple people. And although children are absolutely a blessing from God, there's a different level of complication that comes into a person's life when there are children involved. So basically, he's just saying there's some things that an unmarried person is not going to face when they're trying to serve the Lord. The other part of that is single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work. That is an advantage for singleness. A vital part of Christian responsibility for married people is to care for their spouse as well as care for their children. Those who are single, it allows greater freedom for them to serve where God calls them, to serve when God calls them, to be flexible, to be available, to to have a little bit more freedom in their life. That is an advantage. But listen There's also advantages about being married. There are advantages when it comes to companionship. There's advantages about having an equally yoked partner in life to be able to process decisions and work towards solutions. There's advantages to the blessings of sexual intimacy, the gift of building a life and building a memory with another person, the joy of children. There's blessings that come along with this. And when it comes to serving the Lord, listen, some people will serve the Lord stronger as a single person, And other people, they serve the Lord stronger as a team. I'm gonna gonna testify for a moment. I praise God for the call that God placed on Bria's life at the age of 12, and the call he placed on my life in vocational ministry, and the fact that he brought us together to serve as a team in ministry. We are stronger as a team than what we are by ourselves. Now, Bria will tell you all day long, she had no idea how I was ever going to be a pastor because she said, Paul, you don't talk to anybody. And I would say, I talk to people, I just don't have as much to say as what you do. So I, I reserve my words for, you know, those major moments in life. Bria has brought me out of my shell and I've calmed Bria down a little bit. And you all have to know, if I calmed her down at all, it was crazy when we first got married there. (laughs) But my my point is, some people, they, they are able to serve with greater flexibility and movement as a single person, and then God has designed some. They come together as a team, and it's in the process of partnership they're able to serve God more effectively. Why in the world is it important that we even take all of this time to show a biblical perspective on singleness. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons, and these are going to be fast, and we'll, we'll go to the next section. The church needs to clearly give a biblical view on every topic in Scripture, Amen. not just the topic of singleness. This is just one of many, but we need to be clear on this. When singles are made to feel like second-class believers, it discourages them and they lose sight of their value and their identity in the eyes of God. We need to be clear about this. And when singleness is devalued, it makes some people idolize marriage and they run faster to marriage than what they should run. That's a reason why we take time to talk about this. So now let's talk about a wise approach to singleness. Uh, What are some Important thoughts to remember if maybe you are single and you're drifting in life. Maybe you're single and you're afraid of being single forever. Maybe you're not sure of what this season in your life is supposed to be about, what the the purpose is supposed to be. Well, with my newly minted AARP card, I am going to (laughs) share some grandfatherly advice, some pieces that have been handed down, pieces that have come out through counseling, pieces in Scripture, but I believe it's good pieces for us to remember. So here's the first of those, and these go very fast. In every stage of life, pursue Jesus fully and discover your value, worth, and identity in him. At every stage of life. I love what Craig Groeschel beautifully stated. If you want to end up married and happy, start single and secure. Insecure people need more, and they settle for less secure people need less and they expect more that's a word people basically what he's saying is know who you are in christ let your value your worth and identity be in christ know that so that you're not trying to pursue something or someone in order to become what jesus has already made you to be the next one Ask God to teach you lessons today that he will use for your life tomorrow whether you remain single or you get married. Every season of life, he's preparing you for the next season. There's no such thing as a wasted experience. Allow this time to be. Pray that God would use this as a season to teach the lessons that he wants for your future. Next one, be fully present in your single life. Okay, live within the boundaries of scripture 100%. But enjoy that time in your life. It's okay to hang out with friends. It's okay to have flexibility in service. It's okay to do those things. Live fully in that moment. The next one, do not embrace the lie that singleness is a time to do whatever you want, sexually, experientially, or flippantly. I'm going to give you like three quotes fast. Here they are. There's a payday someday. The chickens come home to roost. There is a high price for low living. Okay. Jesus forgives sin, but he does not always remove consequences. And there are consequences that people face many times for the rest of their lives because they felt like singleness was a time they could do whatever they want. Don't buy that lie. The next one. You'll marry someone you date, so date wisely. Dating is not for funsies. I'll say that again because nobody liked it. Dating <laughs> is not for funsies, it is in the process of dating that emotional connections are made and physical desire increases and guards begin to get let down. There are many people who started dating out of boredom or for funsies that they get emotionally connected with someone that they are not in alignment with biblically and they feel pressured to marry the person down the road. Dating is important in this. You'll marry someone you date, so choose wisely. The next Stop trying to plan out every detail of how, when, and where you'll meet your future spouse. I think the Hallmark Channel has killed us on this one. <laughs> okay, if, if you've got this master plan, I'm going to meet them here, this is what it's going to look like, whatever. Here's the issue. Sometimes your preconceived ideas about how it's going to happen interfere with you being able to see it when God drops that person in front of you. Here's what a a believer, if you're looking for a future spouse, here's what you need to do. Walk with Jesus, ask him for wisdom, and put yourself in places where there are single believers around you. It's amazing how quickly God can bring pieces together. Next one. The best way to find the right person is to be the right person. If you want to marry someone who loves the Lord, who's engaged in biblical community, who's generous and loving and hardworking, be that kind of person. If you want to marry someone who's got a strong prayer life, who handles finances well, who has goals in life, be that type of person. Scripture says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Marriage is hard enough when you agree on all the important things. It can become miserable if you don't agree on the most important things. Next one, embracing singleness in a godly way will better position you to meet a future spouse. Now again, this is if if God's calling you to a life of marriage in the future, embracing singleness in a godly way is important. Did you know God does not give future spouses based upon the level of a person's miserableness as a single person? He doesn't give them out like that. And by the way, if you're miserable and single, it's not exactly a calling card for someone to come join you. You're welcome. I'm just just trying to say something that's going to be helpful down the road. Okay, here's another one. Being married does not complete you. I've already said it, but you're complete in Christ. And we need to understand Scripture. Jesus was not married. John the Baptist was not married. The Apostle Paul was unmarried. And yet, I would dare say anyone would say their life was somehow incomplete. Next one. It's never God's will for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Missionary dating has led to a lot of heartache in marriage. Dating an unbeliever because you think if I hang out long enough, he's going to convert to Christ or she's going to become a believer. Listen, all I can say is there are times, there are times When God, in his grace and because of his providence, intervenes and he covers a foolish decision with a blessing. There are times that happens. But if you enter into a relationship saying, if I'm with them long enough, they will become a believer. That's not the way it normally works. Here's what happens. Most of the time, they will pull you down. You will not lift them up. You marry someone you date. Okay. And by the way, I'm going to come back to this in just a moment because if you're dating and you ask the person the question, are you a Christian, they say yes, and you're like, box checked and you move on, that's unwise. And we're about to dig into some questions you need to be asking. I got 19 seconds to get this in. All right, here it is. All right, listen fast. It is better to do premarital counseling when you first start talking about engagement than to do premarital counseling after you've already gotten engaged. Good biblical premarital counseling will help you see if that is a strong fit, if that person is right for your future. Are you on the same page? Is this a, are there red flags you need to see? And if you are already engaged and then you see the red flags, it's really hard to back out of that engagement. Next one, if you're single, listen to and value what your parents, their thoughts on a future spouse God has given your parents the task of caring for you, protecting you, and making sure you become everything God created you to be. There will be things your parents see that you will not see. You need to value and listen to your parents. All right. They just took the timer off at this point. Apparently, I blew right through that one. So, anyway, here's this last section. I promise this will be fast. It is better to ask hard questions before marriage than discover on unwanted answers after saying, I do. Now is the time to ask. And by the way, allow trusted believers in your life to help you ask the questions and vet the person. Other people will see things you don't see. Other people will ask questions that you won't ask. It's good to listen to what others are saying in that moment. Now, Back to that point I was making. If you ask the question, are you a Christian, and that person says yes, and you're like, great, that's done, let's move on, that is unwise. You need to ask second-level questions, third-level questions, uncomfortable questions, deep questions. Do not stay on the surface with your questions. Get down to where life matters with those questions. Here's things you need to be finding out about. Tell me about your time with the Lord. What is God teaching you in the Word? What does your prayer life look like? How are you experiencing God in your life today? What are your future plans? What are you doing today to prepare for those future plans? Are your parents still together? What was your family life like? growing up? Are there things from your home life that you want to emulate or things that you want to change? What are they and why? What is your view of marriage? How do you see roles in marriage? Can you explain the gospel to me in five minutes or less? Tell me about your relationship with your parents. Is it stressed? Is it good? Which way and why? Also, do you have a job? Do you make any money at this job? Can you support yourself with the money you make at this job? Or is somebody else still supporting you? Do you have a budget? How long have you had a budget? Do you stick with that budget? If we go on a date, who's going to pay for the date? Tell me about your view of children. Will you discipline those children according to Scripture? If the answer is yes, what does the Word of God have to say about bringing up children to know the Lord and to love Him? How often do you go to church? If I ask your pastor, how often? What would he say? Where are you currently serving in the church? Who's speaking into your life and maturity in Christ? Can I get their name? Can I get their number? Can I verify this information with them? How do you handle disagreements? Do you throw things? Do you hit people? Do you have a criminal record? If I find out, will I discover you have a criminal record? Tell me about your friends. Are they walking with the Lord? Oh, here it is. Ask the hard questions now. Ask them early. There are a lot of people who live with regrets because they wanted the right answer. They just didn't want to ask the important questions. Ask the hard questions now. Now, we're just getting started on singleness this morning. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be adding to this. Next week, we're going to get into how do you pray for a godly spouse? What are you looking for? And a godly spouse. How do you know if it's God's will for you? Like, we're getting into a lot this next week. But Lord willing, even with what we covered this morning, it helps single people understand you are complete in Christ. You're not needing someone else to make you complete. You're complete in him. Singleness and marriage are both gifts. There are pieces that we need to look at to walk wisely. Just let the word of God be the one to help you in this entire process. I'm going to ask you if you would bow with me for prayer. Heads bow for just a moment.